Thanks for listening to the Valley Point Church Podcast. We are currently in the series, Life First. We hope it's a blessing to you. Part of our story as a church is that we're under construction right now, and if you have not driven by our Bethel Road, yeah, if you have not driven by our Bethel Road campus recently, I would encourage you to do that. It is a mess over there, which is wonderful and a great sight, so I wanted to give you a construction update and let you know that one of the things we've been working on with our builder is developing a timeline. So what does it look like to complete everything, and when is it possible? Again, there's a lot of variables that could move this up or down a little bit. But when is it possible that we might be able to occupy and move into our new home? That's what we all want to know, and we've been trying to do diligent work there to discover that. And I'm excited to share with you that we've established a timeline right now where we hope to be in our new home the very first Sunday of December of this year. So it's good news, isn't it? Yeah. Now, I think everybody understands the nature of construction. That could obviously get moved back depending on several different things. Maybe it'd get moved up. I'm not sure. But we'll communicate that with you as we know. That basically puts us at 44 more Sundays in this building. So we have less than a year, God willing, and I think one of the things we'll do when it gets a little bit closer, when we get into the 30 to 25 Sunday range, we might put some type of chart up here and begin to peel off numbers and celebrate that every Sunday as we get closer and closer to occupying. So I wanted to share that with you to encourage you. We're excited about that. Again, drive by the campus and check out everything that's happening at your own risk. It's messy, but it's a beautiful sight. And I know that we all look forward to that future real home. That's going to be a great day, isn't it? Yes, it's going to be a great day, indeed. Okay. This is kind of a special Sunday for Tanya and myself as well, our family. This month begins our 24th year of pastoral ministry. So that's a wonderful mile mark for us. Thank you. 24 years ago, I started working at a church outside of Chicago, it was actually in Indiana, but was working there, spent four years there. Tanya joined me after we got married, and then I moved to another church in Indiana, spent six years there, had a great time, and then since God calling us back to Chicagoland, and so we went to a church and spent seven years serving there before moving here. Eight years ago, this month, So we also start our eighth year of ministry here at Valley Point, and yeah, that's fun. We're excited about that. I know some of you are like, I can't believe you survived eight years here, but we're hanging in there, and I will say to you that I can't think of anywhere else I'd rather be than right here serving with you, loving you trying to do something special in this place to reach the communities around us. I have a true sense of wanting to be here for a very long time. And so I look forward to wonderful years in front of us and doing some special things as we seek to point people to real relationships and real significance. So this is the longest I've been at any one church. So new territory for me. And thank you so much for welcoming me and my family. And yeah. 
Again, we've got great years, great years in front of us as we look forward to a wonderful future with everything that God is doing. <laughs> I'm right here. I'm right here. Welcome to the final week of Life Verse. And I think we have been on really an extraordinary journey throughout the month of January, just thinking about looking into Scripture. And the challenge has been for all of us. Look and dig and discover and find a verse or two or three or four that are meaningful and memorable to you that kind of jump into your heart and into your mind and claim them as your verse, your life verse for 2017 so that you can have that as a blueprint for this year. And with whatever successes come, with whatever losses we experience and everything in between, the encouragement is God's word can sustain us through all of that stuff. And so we've been on this journey where for the past three weeks, you have been discovering and investigating. And listen, I hope that you have enjoyed the process. I know when we think about the Bible, the word fun doesn't always come to mind, but I hope that you have enjoyed, even though it can be challenging and difficult to understand, I hope you've enjoyed the process of trying to find that verse that is specific to you. And I also hope this, I hope that you have a new appreciation for the beauty and the depth and the value of God's word, so valuable to us. And I hope that is coming to life inside of all of us. Just this past week, I was looking at Psalm 119, and I talked about this chapter in the Bible last week. It's kind of the king of chapters with 176 verses. There's no chapter longer in all of Scripture, and it uniquely speaks to the value of God's Word. This is Psalm 119. So let me read to you Psalm 119, 105. And I know some of you actually chose this as your life verse because I've had these conversations with you. But I love these words. It says, Your Word, speaking of Scripture, speaking of the Bible, it is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. So the Bible, God's word, scripture, it is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. No matter how intelligent, sophisticated, educated, opinionated, or put together you may feel you are today, who can't benefit from something like that, right? Who can't benefit from a lamp to guide my feet? and a light for my path. And again, this is what God's word provides for us. It's beautiful. In that same chapter, we find another verse. It's verse 9 that says this. How can a young man keep his way pure? It's just a great question. So young people in the room, and I'll let you define what young means to you personally, but young men, young women, how can we keep our way pure? And that Hebrew word there means innocent or clean or blameless. So this is a wonderful question to ask. How can we keep our way pure, clean, blameless, and innocent? How is this possible? Well, that verse answers it by saying, by guarding it according to your, say it with me, word, your word. Just tremendous value of digging into Scripture. God's Word is so rich, and there's just no end to what we can discover here. I remember when I was in training and walking through theology and hermeneutics and all of the things you walk through to prepare as a pastor, 
I remember thinking, you know, at some point, you probably run out of stuff to say. And, and I like to talk, so that kind of concerned me, because, like, you know, at some point, there's just no more content. Like, you've, you've given it all. And one of the things I have learned in 24 years of investigating God's word and studying is there is no end to what you can discover here. And as we read and research and as we put in the work, which is part of our responsibility of what does it mean and what's the context, what's the history here, as we do all of that hard work, we can continually learn from the word of God. And I am still learning 24 years later because there is no end to what we can uncover here. And so... Again, just an extraordinary journey that we have been on as a church, discovering and investigating, and I hope that you have enjoyed this. Last week, if you were here, you know that we walked through a commitment time where many people came up to our displays and they wrote down their verse or verses, and I love the sight of people doing that. It is so meaningful and hopefully memorable to you, and... We have those displays. If you ever forget what your life verse is for the year, they'll be at the Bethel Road campus. You can walk over and find your spot and remember your verse, and hopefully that'll be great for you to do that. If you didn't get the chance to participate last week, you weren't here, or maybe you're still trying to figure that out, like, do I really want to do this? And I don't know if I want to do it in front of people, and you're just a little unsure about this. It's not too late if you still want to commit. And in the lobby today... In a little less formal of a way, you can actually write down your verse or verses and have that as part of our life verse story, part of our traditions and part of the history of our church. So if you didn't get the chance to take care of that last week, there is still time to do that. So we've had this concentrated time of investigating scripture. I can't think of a better way to wrap up this month, first month of a new year, and the journey we've been on with lifers. I can't think of a better way to wrap this up than by contemplating God's generosity that is extended to all of us. And I believe one of the greatest ways we can do that is through a communion experience. And so that's where we're headed today. I want to use the remainder of my teaching time to look at a paragraph of Scripture that just gives so much detail to us about the value of communion and what it means and why this is such a great thing for us to be involved in. And so we'll talk about it and then we'll serve communion and partake together. Make sense? All right, here's our big idea for today. Get ready to write this down or fill in these blanks. Our big idea is to prepare and remember. So these are two key words when it comes to communion. And if you don't know anything about communion, like why do we do this, what does it mean, I want you to hang on to these two key words. And we're going to explain them a little bit as we walk through our paragraph. But prepare and remember. And as we do that, as we prepare well and as we remember well, I think our communion experiences will be very rich. If you have a Bible or a device, I would love for you to find 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to walk through several verses there. Again, this is a wonderful communion paragraph, and we're going to think about it. So while you're finding that, let me talk to you about the book of 1 Corinthians. Let me give you some fun facts. Do you like fun facts? All right, well, I'm going to give them anyway, so hopefully you'll like them a little bit more after I explain this to you. And I want to give you fun facts about the book of 1 Corinthians because it makes the concept of communion so much richer 
when we get the full context. So let's think about this. This book was written by Paul, who was an apostle, who wrote many books in the New Testament. And you'll hear us talk about the Apostle Paul quite a bit, a prolific author and writer. And he wrote the book of 1 Corinthians. And so as we consider these words, we're going to remember that this was written by a great, great man under the authority of God himself. So it was written to a church located in the city of Corinth. All right? We got a lot going on over here, don't we? I love it. (laughs) Don't worry about it. All right, just so you know, (laughs) a lot of activity over here. I love it. It's going to be one of those kinds of crowds, huh? It's great. All right, just so you know, I'm not making this stuff up about the city of Corinth. Check out this map on the screen. This was an actual city in ancient Greece. It was located somewhat between the cities of Athens and then Sparta. Those are some more popular cities that we know of in ancient Greece. Well, Corinth was another city. It was strategically located, which made it a prominent city. A lot of people live there. And so again, this is written by the Apostle Paul to a church in the city of Corinth, a very strategic city. Now, here's what we know about the city. It was a Roman colony. And again, important for us to know that. So Rome is the ruling, dominating world power at the time. And Corinth is a Roman colony, which means the population consisted of Roman citizens who had migrated from Italy to live in Corinth because it was a desirable place to be. And so you had Roman citizens there. It's also important to remember, being a Roman citizen, especially when we think of the New Testament, a really big deal because Roman citizens had more rights, more privileges than non-Roman citizens. And so in Corinth, a real city, In ancient Greece, we have Roman citizens living there who had migrated from Italy. We also had native Greeks. Obviously, it's in Greece, so there's going to be native Greeks there. There were also Jewish people. And what scholars tell us is that there was just many other ethnic groups besides Romans, Greeks, and Jews living within the city of Corinth. So it's a big city. I think we understand the concept of this. A lot of different people. A lot of different ethnicities all living together. Now, here's something else about the city of Corinth. It was a wealthy city. Again, because of its location, a lot of money coming in and out of the city. And so people, many people, really made quite a bit. And they were successful. They had arrived. It's a wealthy city. But I think we all can imagine that with wealth and with a lot of people, there also comes poverty. And that was a part of the story of Corinth as well. There were wealthy individuals who made it, but there was also a mess of people who were very impoverished and everything in between. All right, so this paints the story of the city of Corinth, a Roman colony. We have Roman citizens living there who have a little more privilege than other people. We have Greek natives. We have Jewish people, other ethnic groups. We have wealthy people. We have poor people and everything in between. And so what was happening in the city of Corinth at this time, tremendous amount of tension because of all of these different groups. And they were divided and they didn't get along. And there was mistreatment and all of these accusations. This is happening in the city. So you can imagine, because this makes sense to us, 
all of these things spilling into the church as well. Most churches are a reflection of their communities or their cities. And so if this is happening in the city of Corinth, you know that it's happening in the church as well. And so 1 Corinthians as a book, it contains a frank discussion from an apostle who is saying, I know the city acts a certain way, but the church should be acting a bit different. And they should be honoring God with their lives. And these tensions that are happening in the city should not be spilling over into the church. Uniquely, one of these tension points was with communion. If you can imagine, right? Communion is a time to remember Jesus and his broken body and his blood shed for us. And what we discover, and we'll read this in just a moment here, is that this particular church, they were abusing communion. And that didn't sit well with the Apostle Paul, and so again, he just has this frank discussion with them. One more fun fact, and that is most scholars agree that Paul wrote this letter in A.D. 55. So that gives us a time frame for when all of this happened. Now, all of that, all of that, Paul the author writing to a city, uh, to a church in a city in Corinth, You have Romans and Greeks and Jews and other ethnicities. You have wealthy people, poor people, a lot of tension, all of this tension spilling over into the church, creating problems when they got together for corporate worship. All of that to look into the purpose of the book of 1 Corinthians. One of the things I'm trying to get better at as a student of God's word and as a teacher is what is the purpose of any given book? And I've been sharing this quite a bit with you recently. So helpful to understand why was this book written? Why was it written? Because when we understand why it was written, we have a greater picture. There's more clarity as to what's happening on the inside. And what we will discover is that the author will point everything in his letter to that particular purpose. So very, very helpful for us to understand the purpose of any book. And here is the purpose of 1 Corinthians. Paul, the author address divisions, disorders, and difficulties in the Corinthian church in order to preserve unity. So the city of Corinth, not unified. That just wasn't happening. And Paul is beginning to push on the fact that the church should be. It should be. But they weren't. And so that takes us to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 And I want to begin reading with verse 20. So keep all of that in mind, all right? You've got this city and this church, and people aren't getting along, and they're having a problem with communion specifically. Here's verse 20. Paul says, when you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry, while others get drunk. And Paul says in verse 22, what? (laughs) What's going on here? Wait a minute, I thought this communion was a time to remember the sacrifice of Jesus, and some of you are abusing this, and some people are getting a little tipsy with communion. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Come on. Or... Do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? Really, is that what you want to do? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you 
Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. Sometimes you got to insert your own little sarcasm into Scripture because it's there and sometimes just drips out. And I think this is one of those paragraphs where the writer is saying, I, I can't believe what is happening here. Let me try to paint a picture of what we just read. It was a problem with how the church in Corinth as a whole was practicing communion. There was greediness, selfishness, drunkenness, and gluttony. And all of this was happening within the church. And Paul basically called them out and said, that's icky. By all all of that stuff that you're involved in, that's icky. And we need to be a stranger to that. Like, this just needs to stop. We have to remember that this is a first century church. And so their meetings looked a little different than our meetings. You know, when we come in, you're greeted in the lobby and you talk to some people if you choose to do that. You get some coffee. Some of you may want something a little stronger than coffee, but that's the best we got on any given Sunday morning. You get your coffee. You come in here. We sing some songs. We pray. We teach. We walk out and say hi to each other and encourage each other. That's part of our experience. That's kind of how we do church. But in the first century, that's really not how they did church because they didn't have auditoriums like this. They didn't have these kinds of gathering places. And so they did church in homes. And there would be a host or a hostess who would open up their home and say, come on, you can have church here today. And so they would gather however many people could fit there. And often what would happen first is that they would share a meal together. They would eat. They would bring in food. And, hey, I'm bringing this, and you're going to bring that. Let's sit down and just talk a little bit and socialize. And as part of that common meal, it was called, that would take place in this home, they would break or pause, and they would move into a time of communion. Or they would lift up bread and say, let's remember this is the broken body of Jesus. And then they would lift up wine in their case and say, this is a picture of Christ's blood shed for us, and let's partake of these things and remember. That's what would happen in the early church experience. The owner of the home, again, it was up to them to arrange people however they chose. And in antiquity, here's what would normally happen. Again, it's important for us to know this because it gives context to why Paul would really go after this early church about how they're serving communion. In antiquity, it wasn't uncommon for them to seat people according to social status. And so if you were a Roman citizen or you had wealth or you were highly respected in that culture, there would be a seat and a place for you among other people who were probably in the same boat. If you were of lower position or did not have much wealth, they would put you with like-minded people. Often the people of higher status sat closer to the good food. Of course they did. And the best drinks. And so they're having a great time, and they're feasting during this common meal during the church. They're eating all the good food, and clearly they were drinking all of the best wine because they were losing it a bit, and they weren't passing on anything to the other people. So other individuals who were there who didn't have as much status and who didn't have as much food, and were, quite honestly, probably very poor, they weren't getting to eat at all. 
Again, this would not have been shocking or strange in the first century. This was common practice. But Paul looked at all of this and said, I'm angered by what's happening. And I get that's common practice, and this is what's happening in the city. And when there's other social gatherings, that's what takes place. But again, the church should be called to a higher standard of inclusiveness and welcoming and sharing and not being greedy and not overeating and not getting drunk. So Paul really begins to push on all of this. And the reason he says it specifically is because the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, Communion, the Eucharist. This is all a time for us to focus on Christ who died for, how do you answer that? Who did Christ die for? How you answer that and how they were thinking about this will determine how you treat other people. So again, Paul just begins to push on the fact that We're here to celebrate the Lord's table, and he died for all. He died for everybody. Romans, Greeks, Jews, all of these different ethnicities, rich people, poor people, and everything in between. This is the gospel message. So Paul goes on to say now in verse 23, and here it comes. For I pass unto you what I receive from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread He gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So, anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And that is why you should examine yourselves before eating the bread and drinking the cup. I looked at all of that and said, examine yourself for what? Like that's the challenge given to all of us, not just to this church in Corinth, but to us today. Examine yourself for what? Well, when you look at the full context here, the challenge that he gave to this church in Corinth, who was not being fair to all people, who were making a mockery of the gospel by not being inclusive, I think the challenge here is to examine ourselves to make sure that we are creating a welcoming community for all and that there are no divisions amongst us and we are not giving preferential treatment to anybody. The church is not to resemble the world. It's just a different calling. And so again, Paul is saying that the table, communion is a time for us to think about how the gospel, the good news of Jesus is available for all people. And there should be no divisions, no better treatment for individuals. I think when you consider all of the things that divide, and we're seeing this right now. By the way, you're probably feeling this in your relationships and in your conversations here with friends and at work and with family. All of the things that divide us, it's real. 
Well, this is a very timely conversation. So let's just think about this. What divides us? What potentially can tear us all apart? How about political views? Race? Education? How much or how little? Personalities? Economic status? Well, let's just keep it real. These are things that have great potential to just tear us all apart. So here we are at the table. And it's just a reminder that Christ died for all. At the table, all these divisions are supposed to be gone. And guess what? I stand next to you. And you stand next to me. And we stand next to each other. And we don't even know everybody in this room. That's not possible. So you know you're not going to agree with what everybody thinks about everything. That's just not possible in a room this size. But yet I stand next to you and you stand next to me and we stand next to each other. And this is a beautiful picture of the church unified. It's a picture of the gospel, the truth of Jesus being available for all. It's the truth of Jesus in real life. Because this just really isn't happening in most places. And so imagine a church unified that just pushes all of that stuff aside. A beautiful picture to the world. Which is what God has called us to do and to be. One of our core values as a church is people. We have four core values that drive us. Truth, people, generosity, and location. I'm not going to walk through all of them, but one of our core values is people. And I spend my time thinking about this and making sure that our ministry and our teaching kind of lines up with our core values. And I know some of you wonder what I do all week. So besides preparing for Sunday, I really dive into our core values and make sure this is happening. And so one of our core values is people. And I think this speaks into the whole communion experience. And my hope is one of the things that you have enjoyed about Valley Point, that you've benefited from, is when you walk in the door here, whether that was today for the first time, so glad you're here, or you've been doing it for a few years, or maybe you've been doing it for a really long time, however long it's been, when you walk in the door, there wasn't somebody there asking you questions about who you are and what you believe and your political affiliations and are you this way or that way? Nobody does that. And the reason nobody does that is because it's not the way of Jesus. It doesn't represent the table. And so when we speak of people, our statement on that is we deliberately create environments where relationships can thrive because we welcome, include, and love people without expecting anything in return. And I think this is the heart of Jesus And his gospel and communion gives us yet another opportunity to display that we welcome people and we accept them and we don't ask questions. We encourage them to pursue Jesus at their own pace. And we do that in unity together. Even if we don't always agree, that's just what happens. So at the table, we come together. Listen to this. Young and old. Men, women. Pennsylvania, Delaware, Jersey, Maryland, whatever other state may be here today. How about this? Democrats, Republicans, non-voters, 
disinterested and whatever other thing you throw into that category. Different ethnicities. Even different beliefs. And we accept all of that. And this is central to the gospel and the table. Communion gives us the opportunity to take this ancient tradition, this beautiful picture of Jesus and his love being available for everyone, for everyone, and to display this to a world that is divided. Back in the summer, we had a week where we taught on communion. And we serve communion here and do that when we have the opportunity to give time to it, when we can teach and think and pray about it. And today is one of those days. This past summer, we had, we had one of those Sundays where we just kind of leaned into communion, and I taught on it. And I had a, a response from a friend. She came to me, and she said, you know, it's been 17 years since I've taken communion. And I've, I've just felt excluded and kind of on the outside. And so I've always felt when it was time for that, that I, I should skip that Sunday or leave early because it wasn't for me. And so that day, we taught on communion, and she came to me. I didn't know any of this was happening in her life. She came to me and said, today, I took communion for the first time in many, many years. With fear and trembling, I I took it, and I'm so glad I did. And here's her words. I found Valley Point, became a member, but still either skipped the communion Sundays or, or left early until your message last year. Just felt excluded. Your message that Sunday really spoke to me and seemed to say that it was a precious remembrance and that I shouldn't be afraid anymore. I literally started to have a panic attack in church when I decided to finally take communion for the first time since 1998. 17 years of being excluded and afraid. I cannot express to you the peace that came over me after I finally took that step after so many years. We had communion during a recent mission trip where we witnessed an elderly man being baptized and prayed over. It was such a precious memory. I don't think that I would have had the courage to participate if you had not spoken to my heart that day. Do you know what she experienced? Acceptance? Unity? By the people around her? By her church family? And what we experience when we walk through the Lord's table and we we take this piece of bread and this cup of juice, what we experience is is so much more than just a crunchy wafer and, and, and warm juice. It's not wasted time. It's not just something that we walk through. It's ancient and beautiful and a picture of the inclusiveness of the gospel, the truth that Jesus is available for all. And I would encourage you, if you're here and you've trusted in Jesus alone, push divisions to the side and no fear, no fear and no guilt, no guilt. Freely participate. And again, I stand with you and you stand with me and we're with each other All of this, an incredibly beautiful picture of what God intended his church to be. Corinth didn't get it right. And so they're challenged here. Fix this. 
And I think we have a great opportunity in front of us even today to come to the table and display this beautiful unity that is a picture of the gospel. Two takeaways. Prepare well. Prepare well, which means no divisions. We have to push that aside, and we have to really think about this and get ready. And then secondly, remember well. And I want to give you time and space to do that as we move through our communion experience, that you would be able to hold these elements in your hand and say, this is a picture of Christ's body and a picture of his blood, and I'm going to remember well and think about the unity that comes when we share this together. So prepare well and remember well, knowing all of this, a picture of the church, the way God wants it to be. Father, we're thankful for this day and for a little bit of time to focus on communion. And wow, what an, what an amazing passage we find where an ancient church was really struggling with this. And the heart of their struggle was that they were showing preferential treatment to each other. And it was part of their culture, and that's just what they did, and it was accepted, but yet Paul called them out and said, it shouldn't be true for the church. Here we stand next to each other even when we don't agree and we don't believe and we don't see eye to eye. And the Lord's table gives us a chance to be unified and to set those things aside so that we can give a beautiful picture to the world of what can happen when people do this and act this way and submit to you and to each other. So God, I just pray that as we move through this time together, I pray that you would help us to prepare well. And God, if we've been causing divisions or if we've been a part of this, help us to confess that to you. So help us to prepare in that way, to push all of that aside. And God, I pray during this time that you'd help us to remember well you and your sacrifice and what you did for us that we never could have accomplished on our own. So God, bless us as we move through this time together. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you call Valley Point Church home, or would like to make a donation, please go to valleypointchurch.com and click online giving. If you're in need of prayer, we would love to serve you in that way. Please reach out to us at prayer at valleypointchurch.com.